Stem cell science is changing medicine and our understanding of human development. Learn more with the Stem Cell Channel. Visit uctv.tv slash stem cell. Again, it's a pleasure to be here, and um, I'm more than happy and glad to share what we have done in last decades since I started my lab, I think nine years ago, um, and, and a little bit before that. Um, so I'm required by my um, institute to provide disclosures about my two startups, that one we started five, six years ago, and one that we started um, earlier this year. Both of the companies are focused on taking cell-based therapies into the clinics. The Amasa Therapeutics is more on taking it into GBMs, patients with GBMs, and the Olim Therapeutics is a, a wide platform of using cancer cells to kill cancer cells, which I'll go towards the end of my talk. Again, I'm standing here because of these people. It's not just me, and it's the people in the lab over the years that have dedicated their time and effort to make things happen. So this is the current crop. Maybe some of them have already left since we took the picture. But it's one of the prides we take is that we are a very multicultural center, that we always have nine to ten nationalities in our lab. And it brings diversity, and it gets the best out of all of us. And I've been, you know, sort of trying to do that for years, to bring people from different domains, different cultures into one setting um, and, and um, get the most out of them. And then the collaborators in Boston and outside Boston and the funding from NIH and, and DOD currently and before that foundations um, and ACR and what Evan mentioned. This is our vision. And again, um, and before I get into the details um, I'll just spend a minute or so into forcing how we can take anything that we develop into, in the lab into the clinics. And again, I think it's a mindset thing. You basically have to keep patient in the mind. And, and I think if you have looked, if you go to a physician now, uh, any, anybody who goes to a primary care physician knows much more than they did 10 years ago because they read on Google the symptoms they had and, and the physician has to basically listen to what diagnosis they have on their own. So patient is becoming a critical, critical part of this, this triangle because I think everything um, from patient comes, the way we see it comes into the core. So nowadays we use patient-derived cells how is their immune uh, system working? And now the microbiome is coming into the play, uh, the microbiome of each patient. So patient becomes the core. And if we don't keep patient in mind, I don't think we can develop therapies that can actually treat a certain patient. And it's not true only for cancer, but it's also true for other diseases as well. So what we have done is we have basically figured out what cores we need to make our research areas blossom, and the two research areas that we really focus on are, are the cell therapies for cancer. And then also, as you will see in my talk, um, in, in the slides that I'll show, is that the, the key for any therapy to work and cell therapy to work are the models that basically mimic what happens um, in, the, in the patient. Um, 
And then I think the toughest part of, the, of this triangle is the transition from this blue to green is how do you actually, if you have um, compelling preclinical data, how do you actually take this into clinical settings? And, and my experience with startups, with two startups, um, is something in experience that you go through because it's not your research background that applies here. It's a very uncomfortable zone, and if you're ready to walk in an uncomfortable zone, you might be able to take this part into this part and then ultimately patients. And that's where the industry comes in, and I'll talk a little bit about this. So this is our vision, how we see cell-based therapies going, going into the clinics. But let's start. So this is a, an image of an engineered stem cell, and we've done a lot of work with neural stem cells and mesenchymal stem cells and engineered them to, to express therapeutics. So we know that both neural stem cells and mesenchymal stem cells home to tumors in the brain. So the green is the tumor. The red are the stem cells implanted in the brain two to three millimeters away from the tumor site. And this is 10 years later or nine years later. Uh, so this is my first or our first last author paper. Um, and this is 10 years later. The technology has evolved so much. Now we can actually um, track, uh, not only track, we can actually um, sort of engineer cancer cells to kill cancer cells. Um, and this is all the evolution of gene editing technologies and the ability to isolate tumor cells from the patient and put them back into the same patient. So same mechanism of migration of stem cells or migration of um, tumor stem cells into the, into the actual tumors, but two different um, sort of cell types. Um, again, the evolution of, of technology and, and CRISPR and G, other gene editing technologies help us do that. So in between, there are lots of things. And I think, you know, I don't want any of you to be confused with cell-based therapy. So what I did is I put these four cell types up there, and that will sort of define the overall cell-based therapies where we are. So there are the allogenic cells and the autologous cells that you can take from the patient and put them back into the patient. So if you characterize them into four types, the first two are the allogenic ones, so you can take engineered stem cells, for example, bone marrow-derived MSCs or adipose fat-derived uh, stem cells um, or iPSC-derived NK cells that, you know, um, number of research labs have started making them. So this is all allogenic. You can take it from a healthy individual and engineer them and put it back into the patient. Now the other side is the engineered cancer cells that I'll talk towards the end of my talk, and the CAR T cells that you'll have to take from the same patient, modify it, uh, modify them and put them back into the same patient. The question here is how easy is it to do that? What is the time between when you isolate, when somebody gets detected with, with a tumor, and how much time do you have before you can go back into the same patient? And, and some tumors allow you to do that. Some tumors like GBM barely allow you to do that because the timing between when the GBM, for example, the glioblastoma in the brain, 
gets detected and when it's treated is very, very short, and I'll, I'll come back to that. So this is sort of an overview of cell-based therapies. I, I would lean to, more towards the allogenic um, because it gives us off-the-shelf therapies rather than the autologous where we are limited with the time. Uh, we don't know much about the patient um, before we, we can go back into the patient. So most of our work has been on, on again, stem cells, the, the mesenchymal and the neural stem cells. But sort of, sort of I have summarized it in this slide, and then I'll pick up a few things that I'll talk about in detail. So our focus has been looking at receptors on the surface of the tumor cell um, that are either overexpressed or specifically expressed in, on the tumor cells or tumor-associated endothelial cells, and now also immune cells. Um, so what we do is we take a stem cell. We know that these stem cells migrate to tumors, um, and we engineer them with therapeutics that can bind to these receptors on the surface of the tumor cell or on the surface of the endothelial cell. And one of the molecules that we have extensively looked at is TRAIL that binds to DR4, DR5. I'll talk a little bit about it, how we have try to take it into the clinical settings, and then also how do we break resistance of TRAIL by targeting both EGFR and TRAIL simultaneously, and then some of the studies on immune modulatory molecules like anti-PDL1 and interferon beta, and then CD36, which I'll not talk in detail, uh, that binds um, the TSP1 that binds to CD36 receptors both on the tumor cells and tumor-associated endothelial cells. And then, uh, again, as I said, anti-PDL1 that we can release from stem cells and that binds to the, to the tumor cells. Uh, so that's one aspect of the work. The other aspect we have been really interested in is how do we take oncolytic virus therapies into the clinical settings via stem cells. So we've loaded or engineered stem cells with oncolytic herpes, which goes into the tumor cells via nectin-1 receptor and induces oncolysis in tumor cells. So, so this is sort of an overview. I'll, I'll pick up a few things. Um, uh, so our, our trail story um, and sort of into the, how we have we are very close to getting it into the clinics, and then some work on nanobody trail that binds to both EGFR and, and DR5, um, and some of our work on immune modulatory molecules and a little bit on CAR T cells and then oncolytic viruses. And I'll end with, with cancer cells, which I think is a fascinating approach to address uh, very, very difficult tumors. Trail secreting. This is a neural stem cell releasing trail. Um, you don't see trail, but what you will see is uh, with time, the red cells that are expressing death receptor 4 and 5 endogenously will get killed by the green cells. And the green cells, you also see them migrating a little bit into the tumors, and the green cells are still alive. Um, so red cells will die. This is a 54-hour movie. Um, and, uh, and at the end, again, and the, the green cells are still alive, releasing trail. And if you put more tumor cells there, they will kill those tumor cells as well um, and, and move on. So it's a continuous production of a trail by, by the stem cells. Now, so we're not the only lab in the world that does trail secreting stem cells. There are at least 10, 12 labs um, who work, or even more, who have made stem cells, different stem cell types releasing trail. Um, and published extensively um, in different tumor models, GBMs, breast, you know, liver, 
um, lung. The question then is, how do we take this into clinics? So you basically have to go into the clinical setting and say, okay, what happens there? So let's take an example of GBM, you know, glioblastoma in the brain. And, and if somebody gets detected with a GBM, they have a headache or a seizure, they go to an ER, you know, you see a big mass of tumor in the brain, and I've tried to put it here as an illustration. And what happens within two to three weeks, um, they are scheduled for surgery. And depending on where the tumor is, um, and depending also on who the neurosurgeon is, uh, the tumor gets resected, you know, depending again where it is, that will define the amount of tumor that gets resected. And this is actually an MRI of a patient that shows an intracranial tumor, and this is the phantom showing the total tumor. The volume of the tumor is big. So in this case, it's 49.2 cubic centimeters, which is a huge, huge mass of tumor. And what I've done here is these are our 10 patients um, in the department that, that have undergone surgery, and they define the tumor volumes preoperatively and postoperatively. So after resection, the cavity size, um, this cavity size. So you see it varies. So the, this is the initial volume of the tumor, and then this is the cavity size. And in some cases, you can only take a part of the tumor out. And in some cases, like the first one, you can take the huge part of the tumor out. So, so actually, you create a cavity. Now, for years, all of us, including my lab, um, have been focused on treating a solid, intact tumor in the brain. And it turns out maybe we were wrong that the solid, intact tumor does not mimic the clinical settings because the actual clinical setting in the, is the resected tumor that gets treated with timozolomide and, and, and radiation. And also we've known from our studies that resected tumors grow much, much faster because when you resect the tumor, you refresh the tumor. You basically bring growth factors back in. You reduce the amount of VEGF, VEGFR. You reduce hypoxia, and the tumors are refreshed, and they grow much faster. So it's a, maybe we are treating the wrong tumor when we are doing um, when we're treating solid, intact tumors in preclinical settings. So what we did is we created a mouse model uh, that mimics the clinics. Not easy to do, but we are having lucky doing this regularly. I want to show this again. So this is a GFP luciferase tumor in the brain, and we sort of take it out. You see the video. And what remains is this in the cavity. And this is the culprit because these cells really grow very fast, much faster than this tumor. So if you put these tumors and these tumors together, this will catch up within five to six days in a mouse. Um, and so this is the excise part. So our, our problem, we might have redefined the problem that this is not our problem anymore. This is our problem. Can we actually treat this? So we sort of naively at the time when we were making this 2012, um, 2011, 2012, we naively took stem cells and put it in the cavity, and guess what happens? The stem cells get washed out. So 
We were not. I hadn't read the literature at that time. So it turns out that anybody who has put anything there gets washed out. So that's why you had carmestine wafers, uh, timozolomide wafers that you could put um, them right there, and they were not successful. So when we put stem cells, we lost the stem cells um, because they get this cavity gets filled with blood and cerebrospinal fluid. So what we did is we stumbled into hyaluronic acid-based gels, and these are biocompatible gels, uh, support stem cell sort of um, growth in the beginning. So we encapsulated our stem cells in these gels and put them in the cavity. So these are the neural, these are the mesenchymal cells, the red uh, are the remaining tumor cells in the cavity, the green are the stem cells that are Um, releasing the therapeutic now. And if you do it without the gel, the cells do not survive. As I told you, if you do it with the gel, um, the cells survive longer, and then you get a huge therapeutic benefit uh, with trail-secreting stem cells, killing all the remaining remaining cells here, the red cells in the the cavity. So this was published. Then we started, that's where we had a startup, and then we, we connected with the FDA, and they asked us that, you know, what is our safety mechanism? How do we... So let's assume these cells kill all the tumor cells. How, how are you going to deal with the stem cells that are there? So we started incorporating different kill switches into the stem cells. So one of the kill switches is HSVTK, which selectively sensitizes cells to ganciclovir. It's a prodrug, and it could be also used as a PET imaging agent. So we have a bimodal stem cell now that actually uses trail to kill the tumor cells, and then TK we can kill these stem cells here. You see, when you add ganciclovir, um, your, your cells in the brain are gone. And, and also, the beauty of HSVTK is it's also a PET marker. You can do PET using uh, 18F FHBG um, a, a, as a PET imaging marker. So you can follow eradication, and you can do this in the clinic. So you can monitor tumor volumes by MRI, and you can monitor stem cell fate by a a PET imaging. So there are other kill switches that we have explored. One of the kill switches that is very common in CAR-Ts and and now other immune cell-based therapies is ICAS-9. So, and the latest one is the rapamycin-induced ICAS-9. So you you give rapamycin and it induces caspase-9 in the cells and and, uh, kills the cells. Now, the question from here on is, how do we stratify patients? We also know that there are 40 to 50% trail-resistant cells, not in an individual. So if an individual is trail, individual tumor is trail-sensitive, most of the cells are sensitive. But if you take 10 patients, roughly five of them are trail-resistant, have trail-resistant tumors. Um, how do we actually stratify patients? And this has been one of the key areas of cell-based therapies that we don't basically stratify patients. We just give cell-based therapies to all the individuals, whether um, they have the receptors or they don't have the receptors, so because ours is receptor-based. So we started looking at circulating tumor cells. Uh, and this is a paper we published with Dan Haber and, and uh, Mama Toner at MIT. So till we published this, we didn't know if if GBM cells could be shed in the blood and you could see the circulating tumor cells in the blood 
of mice bearing the uh, tumor. So we have MCherry labeled GBM cells from the patient. We put them in mice, and we have this marker called STEAM, um, which, which stands for SOX2, tubulin 3, EGFR, MET, and AB25, and used a microfluidic device that Mama Toner has developed where you deplete hematopoietic stem cells or hematopoietic cells from the blood, and then we have evidence that we can see circulating tumor cells in the blood of mice. So we've taken this to the next level. This is very much hot of the press data that we got last month, that we can now take patients' blood that has been detected with GBM. So as soon as they get detected with GBM, we get the blood from the patient, and we put it through this device that selects tumor cells based on CD146 staining. So this is one of the patients where we can now look at the receptor that trail targets. So one of the receptors that trail targets is DR5. And we have sort of validated it in mouse as well. So we can uh, implant the tumor cells in the mice and we can stain them for DR5. And here are the flow uh, plots of the circulating tumor cells in mice um, that have GBMs in the brain. And you see most of them uh, have DR5, and then this is one from the patient. So basically, we can now stratify it. So again, let's, let's put this scenario together. We have a patient who has a GBM. Um, day zero gets MRI. Day one, can get, uh, we can get the blood. Uh, day five, we will know whether this patient is, um, is positive for DR, has DR5 or DR4, and then what we can do, we have off-the-shelf, already off-the-shelf um, stem cells that are secreting um, trail and have TK, HSV TK. We can actually tell the GMP facility prepare the cells for us because this patient is getting operated on, on day 20, um, and we can have the cells ready. They just have to be cultured, and two weeks is more than enough to get roughly, so our average um, cavity size is 49 cubic centimeters, so we'll be preparing 60 million cells, um, and the gel, uh, mixing it with the gels in the operating room and treating the patient um, at the site. So again, this gives you a classic example of how do you bring in different areas, um, how do you bring in technology, um, and by the thought process, how do we actually tra treat a patient properly rather than having a clinical trial where we don't know in 50% of the patient this is going to work or not? Now we have all the patients where we think this is going to work, and then the question will be how efficacious it is. So this is one of the examples. We've done a lot of work on trail, like 30 or 40 papers, but I, I wanted to really focus on something meaningful. How, does, how do we actually take it to the clinical settings? So I think... This will be sort of, if we can get this into clinics, we just have to switch the transgenes. The rest will be the same in, in GBM patients. And why GBM? Again, GBM is one of the, I don't think we have done anything in the last 20, 25 years to treat this tumor. So it's a, st a status quo uh, resection, um, chemotherapy and radiation um, has been standard of care and I think the survival has not changed significantly in the last two decades. So something has to happen, something different, um, and I think 
uh, we know that systemically drugs don't go there. So I think we have to go locally um, to make a difference. So I gave you the best possible scenario, a trail sensitive tumor that responds to trail is nodular, but, but GBMs are very notorious. We also know that you can have three different types of GBMs, one that are pretty localized, that are pretty nodular. One, once those um, are semi-invasive, invade a little bit, and the ones that are very, very invasive like this one, um, even if you implant these cells in the brain, they go Within, within 15 days, they are across the corpus callosum on the other side of the brain. Um, so we're sort of trying to see if we can make cells migrate all the way uh, across. Um, but the other problem is, as I told you, that 50% of the tumors are resistant to trail. So how do we deal with those? Um, so again, if you look in literature today, uh, you will see at least five papers published on how to sensitize trail sensitive trail resistant tumors and uh, the the breadth is from green tea to all the way to the uh, HDAC inhibitors there are lots of things which sensitize cells to trail which which sensitize resistant cells to trail and one of the things that we looked at was timozolomide timozolomide sensitizes cells to trail um, and then also the HDAC inhibitor. So the, this is a semi-resistant line. So you see if you add HDAC inhibitor MS275, it sensitizes cells to trail, and this is semi-sensitive. It doesn't kill as readily as this one. So we've done other studies with cisplatin and trail, um, PI3 kinase inhibitors and trail, microRNA-7 and trail, microRNA-21 and trail. So there are at least 10, 12 papers, but... The problem is, you know, this might have been good for publications. Uh, we cannot give drugs systemically to sensitize cells to trail in the tumor, in the, in the brain. So the big picture is, can we actually make a molecule that has both the sensitizer and the killer in one molecule? So we stumbled again. This is, again, six, seven years ago. So we started looking at EGFR nanobodies because EGFR, it's known that if you downregulate phospho-EGFR and downregulate phospho-AKT, it upregulates death receptors on the surface of the cell uh, and then sensitizes trail-resistant cells to trail-mediated apoptosis. We wanted something that could work in conjunction and with the fusion, so we looked at these um, nanobodies that are the, um, the, the camels and the llamas have these fully functional antibodies um, that lack light chain. So these are VHH domains of an antibody. Uh, so in collaboration with, with, uh, with uh, Paul Hanegoen at the University of Utrecht in Holland, we created, we extensively characterized bivalent nanobodies, um, which I'm not showing here. Um, we know that they downregulate phospho-EGFR, they, they downregulate phospho-AKT, but what we were interested in, creating a fusion between a nanobody and a trail. We cannot, we couldn't fuse it to the C-terminus of the trail because C-terminus, you cannot block the C-terminus of the trail. So, because that's the functional um, domain of the trail, so we, we fused it to the N-terminus, and assumed that somehow it will bring the receptors together, downregulate phospho-AKT, and we could release it from stem cells. It will bind to both EGFR and, and death receptor 5. Again, 
there are two papers on this. We extensively characterize it. It works very well. But, but the amazing thing is that the two receptors are, luckily for us, in a very, very close proximity. Uh, we've done FRET studies where we've shown that they are very in, in, in within 10 angstrom um, distance. And if you block EGFR with cetuximab, um, it doesn't work. You don't induce apoptosis. And if you knock down DR4 or DR5, again, the apoptosis is reduced. We have much more cleaner studies with CRISPR now where we have uh, crispr out DR5 and DR4, and we show that um, you completely lose the apoptosis-inducing ability of nanobody trail. Um, We've also done predictive modeling. Again, this is not published yet uh, with, uh, with Jeff Gray at Johns Hopkins, uh, where we have now looked at how it works. So we know the two nanobodies, the, this, uh, because we have a bivalent nanobody, it binds to the two domains of EGFR. And then we have a linker and an isoleucine zipper. Isoleucine zipper helps trail to trimerize, and the extracellular domain of the trail binds to DR5. So this is because they are in close proximity. This is how the, actually the molecule works. And then if you go in vivo with this, with stem cells releasing, with releasing trail, uh, nanobody trail, you get huge survival benefit in trail-resistant cells. And if you take it into resection settings now where you resect the tumor and implant it in a trail-resistant tumor, you again get um, huge tumor cell killing and survival benefit with, with nanobody trail-releasing stem cells. So again, um, some biology into it, some genetic um, engineering and, and design of the molecule that allows us to create the molecule and create the stem cells, um, mind you that all of it has to be secretable. So it will work only on the outside receptors of the cell. So all of it has to be secreted from a stem cell to be taken up by the tumor cells to induce cell killing. Um, so I'm going to shift gears um, a little bit so because of the interest in in immune oncology landscape. And uh, this was recently published, a review in Nature Review's Drug, drug Discovery. And this is astounding. So if you look at um, the previous survey in 2017 and this survey, which is 2018, there's a 67% increase in the number of agents that have been identified um, uh, in the six main classes as immune modulatory agents. And if you look at the, the highest increase is in the cell therapy field. So the question again uh, for me is that how many of these, so again, look at the trend, the gray bars and then ultimately the green bars. So I think this is like 98% of the trials that go to phase one uh, from preclinical settings um, end up in the clinical trial. So, uh, so maybe something we're not doing right, that, that the percentage of the studies we have in preclinical studies that go to phase one, that go to phase two, um, significantly reduce, uh, but not in cell therapy field. And then the approved ones are very, very few. Um, so that gives you an idea how much focus there is on, on, on immune oncology and, and cell therapy, for us to go into that immune therapy mode, um, it's not that straightforward because you have to change the whole setup in the lab. 
because you have to go into syngenetic models. So we had access to the uh, patient tissues, patient lines. You could do this in skid mice, nude mice. Now, if you want to do immune oncology uh, studies properly, you have to have an, an intact immune system. So for GBMs, again, if you look at 33 cancer types and the TCGA analysis from 10,000 sort of samples, GBMs are the most quiet, immunologically quiet tumors. So they are in C5. Um, That means they have the lowest degree of T-cell infiltration of all the tumor types, of all the six types, and the highest number of myeloid-derived suppressor cells. So if if you classify this, so you can call it a cold tumor that has very less uh, T cells, a huge number of myeloid-derived suppressor cells, um, and very few NK cells. So can we make this hot tumor? And how do we make it hot? And I, I don't think we have looked at it. Um, it is basically, can we reduce myeloid-derived suppressor cells? Can we increase uh, the infiltration of T cells into the tumor? And one of the things we thought, we don't know what resection does. Um, maybe we are making it hot because we have never looked at resected tumors and the, and the immune cells in the resected settings. Um, and it turns out that uh, there was a paper last year in genome biology two years ago um, about the microglial TAMs, um, tumor-associated macrophages, that they are more enriched in the leading edge of the tumor rather than the, than the uh, perinecrotic zones. Um, so, you know, the, the TAMs come from the blood or TAMs come from the endogenous microglial cells in the, in the brain. And it turns out that the, the good macrophages, the good tumor-associated macrophages are in the leading edge. So those are the brain-derived ones rather than the, the blood ones. So we, we basically, based on these two sort of settings, one is that what does tumor resection do to immune cells and what happens at the leading edge of the tumor? So we, we reverted to syngenic models. We have now five, um, I think, five different mouse tumor lines that um, we are actually, we've done RNA-seq with them, we have done CYTOF with them, um, and, and one of them is CT2A. And we've looked at when we resect these tumors, of course, you reduce myeloid-derived suppressor cells because you take majority of the tumor out. But interesting finding is that we increase CD8 tumor, uh, T cells, both CD4 and CD8, more of CD8 than CD, CD4. And, and then the question is, can we further enhance this? So again, as I told you, that we had to change the whole setting. Trail doesn't work on, on mouse tumor lines. Um, nanobody trail doesn't work on mouse tumor lines because mouse tumors um, have some DR5, but they don't respond to human trail and not to the mouse trail as well. I think they have more decoy receptors. So we, some, we sort of cloned interferon beta. Interferon beta has been used before, but it has systemic toxicity. So we made a secretable interferon beta um, using stem cells and then showed that it's both, it has both immune modulatory function and, it, of course, it downregulates a phosphostat 
upregulates phosphostat one, upregulates phosphocheck one, so goes through the works through the cell cycle, and and then also induces apoptosis in tumor cells in mouse tumor cells and increases further increases CD8 cells in the tumor resection cavity. So now, if you take these stem cells encapsulate them and put them in the tumor resection cavity of syngenic mice bearing mouse tumors, you significantly increase survival. Um, so you can. You can play with an immune modulator, but I would still like to have something that kills the cells. So interferon beta is not one of the best um, you know, cell killers. It takes, if trail takes 24 hours, interferon beta takes seven days or six days to kill a cell. So we're now trying to see if we can bring back trail receptors into mouse cells and I think we have some data where we can bring a chimeric receptor and bring trail back into the uh, immune settings and see what happens um, because that will be something fascinating. Um, it actually must be happening in patients if we do the clinical trial, but I think we have to validate that in the syngenic settings. Um, so I'll show you a little bit data on CAR T's because now you know I think you got a feeling of how we are seeing how we're trying to address GBMs, and these are the three latest clinical trials on CAR T's. Um, where different labs have injected um, CAR-Ts, IL-13 receptor alpha-2 or HER-2 or EGFR-V3 CARs, either intravenously or, or uh, via intraventricular delivery, um, and it hasn't done much. Uh, so what could be the reason? Could it be the same things, what I've told you earlier, that maybe the, the intravenous delivery doesn't reach they don't reach the tumor. Um, intraventricular delivery, are you doing this in intact tumors or are you doing this in resected tumors? So we sort of made our own car. Uh, this is an EGFR V3 car, just a proof of principle study to actually understand if we put CAR Ts in our settings, what happens? And of course, these cells kill the tumor cells that have EGFR V3. Now, if you deliver systemically, and this is again very raw data, um, they don't do anything to the tumors in the brain. If you inject intratumorally, they have some effect um, in some mice. But if you encapsulate them and put them in the tumor resection cavity, you start seeing, you know, this is still not optimized. It's very, very preliminary data. And you start seeing a difference. And this is not even a million um, T-cells here, but if we can increase the number of T-cells or if we can combine this with stem cells, we might see efficacy. I think one thing is very clear. We cannot give anything cell-based therapy in GBM patients um, uh, systemically. I don't think many of these tumor cells, many of these cells reach there, and if two million cells that are already in the resection cavity don't make a lot of difference, how can a systemically injected cell therapy cells um, reach the brain and make a difference? I think that has to be very, very clear up front because I think we're just wasting time doing this again and again. Uh, okay, yeah, 1,000 cells reach there, so show some GFP pictures, but actually does it make a difference? Um, so again, I'm going to switch gears. Something, two interesting things that I think, again, the way we have addressed them in last, 10, 15 years has not been correct. So, you know, oncolytic virus therapies are booming. There is a, I think it's already OHSV, GMCSF, TVEC is approved for patients in melanoma. Um, 
again, the way it works is that oncolytic viruses only kill dividing cells and normal cells are spared. Um, and, and the way we looked at it, again, think of a resection cavity. If the resection cavity, when you resect the tumor uh, in a brain tumor patient or, or a melanoma patient, it's getting filled with blood. Are you able, would you be able to inject properly into, do we know what we are injecting into? Um, tumor cells? How many tumor cells are you going to inject? And my guess is you will lose a lot of virus there. Um, so what we thought is maybe we should use stem cells as factories to deliver the virus. This is a movie just paid. So the green you see are the tumor cells. And then think of this. So six hours before I came here, we infected the stem cells with oncolytic virus. And what you will see, it's now six hours later, they are co-incubated, and the red of these stem cells is going to come in because the virus has M. cherry in it. And then the virus will first kill a stem cell, release the virus, and that will go into a green cell and kill the green cell. So everything that gets infected with the virus becomes yellow, red, and then dead. So I'll just show this again. So the red are the stem cells releasing the virus. Green are the tumor cells. The virus gets transferred to the green cells, um, and the green cells get infected. They become yellow, and then they die. So the difference here is that we are using a stem cell to hold the virus for maybe 24 to 48 hours, and this might be enough, and uh, exactly this is... This is not in a resected tumor yet, but so stem cell-loaded virus is red, um, and the tumors are green, and this is actually IHC and, and fluorescence imaging showing you that the, all the tumor cells around 96 hours have become red, and they are destined to die. Now, if you do this in the resection cavity, and this is exactly what I was trying to tell you, that if you put the virus that has a luciferase in it and you put it directly into the resected tumor, you lose the virus at day 7, day 9, day 12. It's gone. And if you put now the virus in a stem cell and put the stem cell in the resection cavity, the virus actually transfers to the tumor cells and then you get a huge survival benefit. And this could have been much, much better because the gel doesn't like the virus. Virus doesn't like the gel because it, the proteins can stay in the gel for a long time, but viruses don't like to stay in a biocompatible gel. So now we have increased the pore size of the gel. So as soon as the virus gets released from a stem cell, it comes out of the gel as fast as it can, and then it will kill kill a tumor cell. So this is, again, this is three, four years old. We have taken this to the next level now and, and into the more into uh, metastatic setting. So what I talked to you about is, is solid, intact tumors. But what about metastasis? Um, and, and if you look at METs, it's not one solid mass in the brain. Um, these are multiple deposits in the parenchyma and in the leptomeningeal linings of the brain. So you get three, four, five micrometastases in the brain. And we've sort of tried to mimic these models by injecting uh, tumor cells in the intracarotid artery so that you get something similar to what you see in the clinical settings. Um, and we have made models of breast-to-brain 
um, melanoma to brain, and now we're making lung-to-brain models that mimic actually what you see in the clinics. And this is an example from a breast-to-brain. You see uh, parenchymal metastatic foci in the brain, you see leptomeningeal metastasis, and you also see a vascular co-option, um, typical hallmarks of, of uh, the metastasis, uh, that, uh, cells that metastasize to brain. Of course, we've developed therapies that can now mimic this, so we inject the stem cell-loaded oncolytic viruses with oncolytic viruses in the intracarotid artery, and we show that if if you just inject the virus, it just doesn't reach the brain. It just goes into the blood circulation and comes out. But if you have it loaded in the stem cells, stem cells home to the tumors in the brain and then release the virus at the site of the tumor. Um, again, not, you know, there's not much science, but just common sense into the settings of how do we bring the virus to the tumor cells. Um, and we've shown efficacy in melanoma models, um, both BRAF wild type, and, and BRAF mutant. Uh, you see here again, these are the melanin um, coming from melanin dots coming from the melanomas, METs in the brain, and these METs are significantly reduced when you treat them with stem cells releasing the virus. Again, we've taken this into syngenic settings to understand immune-based therapies with oncolytic viruses. So we, we have been collaborating with Mar Marcus Bosenberg at Yale um, and who has provided us with these yummy lines. So this is Yale University Melanoma Program. Uh, nothing um, delicious, but uh, more of a name that they have given it. Um, so these are the spontaneous models that were generated. Um, the, these are BRAF wild type, BRAF mutant, P10 mutant, P10 wild type, um, and um, I think Cree, um, these are all Cree lock systems um, using a Cree lock system, uh, CDKN uh, 2A um, knockout and intact mice. So we have a line that is now P10 mutant because P10 mutant. Uh, melanomas have more propensity to go to the brain. So we have a P10 mutant line that we have now created that uh, after repeated rounds of injection into the ICA and selection in the brain, that actually is now a metastatic brain line. And we have explored if we can inject PDL1 systemically. Ideally, we would like to have local um, stem cell delivered PDL1. We're working on that. We have a line, so but we want to make the combination with stem cells releasing PDL1 and stem cells releasing the virus at the same time. But in this setting, what we did is we um, gave the stem cells releasing the virus and then gave anti PDL1 uh, on day 17, 18, and 20. And you see again um, differences in survival benefits um, once uh, you give. Um, with and without PDL1 with OHSV. Mind you also that um, oncolytic virus does not work very well on mouse cells because mouse cells very often do not have nectin-1 receptors. So we're also trying to bring in nectin-1 receptor into the mouse cells so they're more compatible with, with the human cells. So again, you don't see very good survival benefits here. That's probably because the mouse cells do not get killed as readily as the human cells. So last but not the least, um, there are years where we have, where everybody in the lab wants to work on something, and this is again a shift that when I brought this into the lab uh, six, seven years ago, there was only one taker in the lab who wanted to work on it. 
and now everybody wants to work on it. Um, so it, it's a shift. Uh, so what we thought is that could we use a cancer cell to kill a cancer cell? It might sound a crazy idea. Um, and and we, we basically got the idea from, from uh, Joanne Messager's work um, where he published, um, and uh, I think seven, eight years ago, that if you have one gram of tumor in a, in a mouse, um, out of those, you know, the, these might be 10 billion cells, and out of those 10 billion cells, one billion are shed in the circulation. Around one billion cells are shed in the circulation. And out of those one billion cells, some cells go back to the tumor, own tumor, and home to their own, in their own site. Um, they also try to go elsewhere. For example, a breast tumor cell would like to go to liver, would like to go to lung and bone, but they don't, the vasculature there is not leaky to allow them to go into that organ. But when they go back to their own, the vasculature is already leaky because there's tumor there, so they go back. And this could be one of the reasons why you get heterogeneous tumors and why you get mutations, um, because the, the, the tumors have shed cells circulating tumor cells into the blood, and they've come back maybe after days or maybe after months, uh, and they've homed. So that means there is tumor homing. Um, so we thought, why not to do two things? One, we have an allogenic approach where we take a tumor from one patient that is resistant to a drug, for example, trail, doesn't have receptors for trail, engineer it to produce trail and put kill switch in it, and kill other patients' tumor that is sensitive to, the, to trail. And then you actually kill the patient A cells with a kill switch. So we did that, and it works beautifully, because you take a trail-resistant cell, like a stem cell, and, and you engineer to express trail and, and uh, HSVTK. We know that they migrate here. There's a two-way migration. They don't actually migrate from one to other. They both like to meet each other, because they want to, meet, they want to migrate to their own tumor type or to the similar tumor type. In this case, it's a GBM. And then if you now um, make them release trail, you actually get a huge survival benefit. And you can also, the kill switch, if you turn it on with GCV, your cells die, uh, the original cells that are producing the therapeutics die. So this is a very simple approach. But um, as Evan said, we like to be innovative. We like to be a little bit crazy at times. So we thought, this is too simple. Can we make it a little bit more complex? So we thought, so let's assume we want to use patients' own cells. So we don't want to use other patient cells. So the criteria for that is that they have to be sensitive to that, to the drug. So let's assume somebody gets the first tumor surgery, and, and they are therapy sensitive. You take these cells, you have to make them resistant to that drug. So we can CRISPR them and knock their receptors out so they become resistant. And then you can engineer them with the ligand and then the kill switch and the rest is the same what I showed you in the slide before. But the key here is that it's a sensitive tumor and you have to make it resistant and then you have to kill. In this way, what you can do is you can use patients' own cells and 
put them back. The beauty of this approach is that, you know, cancer cell is not a CAR T cell or it's not an NK cell. You can, these cells proliferate like anything. So if you take it out from the patient, and they're very, very easy to engineer because they're proliferating, you engineer them within two weeks, you have the whole population that you can go back into the patient. So let's see what we did. So again, trail, uh, we took trail. We did a screen of five, six different receptors and the ligands and the agonists and the antagonists. And what it turns out, the trail is one of the best in inducing apoptosis. So trail-based apoptosis is dependent on DR4 and 5, two receptors. So we knocked either one. So we brought the Cas9 into the cells first. Then we knocked one or the other or both, and then we engineered it with a kill switch. So let's see what happens. So you make a Cas9 line, a tumor line, and then you knock out one receptor or the other receptor, so we had different clones, and then you actually have a clone that has both knocked out, and then you add trail to the cells. And it turns out that if you knock out both, the cells become fully resistant, if you knock out one or the other, the cells are around 50% resistant. So, of course, we took the one that is fully resistant, and we have made cells for prostate cancer, colon cancer, you know, T-cell lymphomas now, uh, GBMs, and, and, and the breast cancer metastases. And we've shown that now if you take GBM in this case, the nodular cells and the invasive cells the nodular cells, um, they die. The original cells that were crispered and are releasing trail, they are alive. Um, and then you can actually kill these red cells now. So in, in an in vivo setting, uh, we've tried to mimic that in culture. So you encapsulate the stem cells that are releasing trail and that are crispered and resistant to trail. And these red cells are re- sensitive. So over time, the red cells get killed the green cells are not killed because they are crispered and resistant to trail. Now, if you take these green cells and put them in vivo and you give ganciclovir to turn on the kill switch, you basically can kill these green cells as well. So you're basically killing both cell populations, but the efficiency with which it kills is unbelievable. I think we've worked with CAR-Ts, we've worked with stem cells, um, we've done some work with NK cells and cancer cells. I mean, you can't beat this. The engineering is easy. The cell proliferation is easy. We can now do this in, again, that's the beauty of developing models in the lab. Then if you have something new, you put it in a model that really mimics the clinics, you can, you can get the best output. Uh, in a resection model, again, you get a huge survival benefit, um, and you can kill all the tumor cells. And in metastatic settings, if you inject these cells in metastatic settings, they like stem cells home to the tumors and, again, um, have survival benefits. For, for ICA injections, we are trying to optimize this. So this is still a single injection. We're trying to build catheters with Boston uh, Scientific. Um, and, and so we can do repeated injection of uh, cancer cells and stem cells and CAR T cells down the road. In, in metastatic settings. So in summary, I think one of the best things about this one is now using cancer cells to treat cancer is if we take this into syngenic settings, and we have, of course, in last one year, and we have data now suggesting that 
in an immune setting, this could be one of the best things that we could do for GBM patients. And it's not something new that people have used cancer cell-based vaccines um, in, in different tumor types. So if we can sort of give it that vaccine twist and, and we have a CRISPR-based vaccine, that could be one of the things for not only for the primary tumors, but also for the metastatic tumors that actually end up, um, that reoccur in the brain. For example, the breast uh, tumors reoccur for five years later, not only in the brain, but in other organs. So if you can kill and vaccinate at the same time, that will be something, something that we haven't um, done before. So I think in summary, uh, what I showed you is the four key things, that cell-based therapies have an incredible potential. If you actually stratify patients, stratify, know which target you're going after, and know the resistance, uh, that's where the mechanisms uh, mechanism comes into play. You can't just say, oh, I have a stem cell that's therapeutic and it can kill tumor cells. But there's, if you look in within the tumor, there are heterogeneous populations of cells. Or within the tumor type, there are some tumors that respond, some tumors don't respond. So you can't ignore that. And then again, I think the best thing that you can do is not ignore the clinical settings. Because if you're going into phase one, and timozolomide will be given anyway in phase one, you have to start looking at what does timozolomide do to your stem cells or to CAR-Ts because you won't get a phase one without any of these um, you know, standard therapies. Those will be there. So, so you will have to start looking into that as well. And I think and that sort of ends uh, the whole story of what I showed you in the beginning, that patient becomes the key, how we treat the patient, what, what are the markers that are present, what are the receptors that are present on patient's tumor cell is becoming the key um, of how we actually do develop patient-tailored therapeutics. And, and with that, I'll leave you with something. This is no offense to any woman in the audience, but this is how Albert Einstein wrote it, so I didn't want to I, wanted, I thought I will change a man to a person, but then I thought it will dilute Albert Einstein's saying, so I will leave it the way it is. So we all get success, but do we make an impact? So I think we should be very uh, sort of looking into that. Thank you.